Hello, and welcome to the Watch Rotation podcast. This is episode two. I'm Joe. And I'm Merrick. Yeah, so today we have a couple things we want to talk about. Uh, we're going to do some introductions because we actually did that a little little back. This is actually our fifth episode, but when we decided we wanted to do a podcast, we did some some trial runs and we weren't sure when we were going to start posting things. So that that has been dropped off. So we're going to do those again. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about watch care, which this is this is Marek's topic. He's coming from a little bit of a frustrated uh, frustrated position. So that'll be that'll be something. yeah. We can definitely talk about that, and then we can talk about Houdinki Japan because you know that's a hot topic right now. All right. Just kidding. Um. <laughs> yeah. So so what's what's going on? What's going on, Marek? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's Saturday. I'm just sort of uh, having a lazy Saturday here, not doing much this morning. Just, uh, you know, how about you? Nice. I've, I've been, I've had a productive day so far. So I've, I've been running around. I'm glad we were able to sit down for a bit. And Yeah, absolutely. So do you want to sort of start off with the intros? Uh, just, you know, do like a quick couple minutes introduction about yourself and sort of where you come from and how you sort of got into watches and I guess sure. uh, where you are right now with watches. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So my name is, is Joe. Um, I, so we should probably tell people what our Instagram usernames are. Um, yeah. Cause that, that's sort of how people will get to know us. Right. They can mm-hmm. see what we're doing on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is, is at Joe dot Pang P A N G. Um, well, what's yours, Merrick? Uh, so mine is uh, Merrick Kilbasa. Uh, that is spelled M-A-R-E-K-I-E-L-B-A-S-A. All right. Yeah, so Marek um, definitely has the more popular of the two Instagram pages, but uh, I should be available if, if you if you reach out to me for anything. I'm, I'm pretty responsive. Is that, a, is that a new Instagram that you've created? No. So, yeah, I had disabled mine, but then now that we're doing the podcast again, I was I was thinking that it might be nice for people to be able to see who I am. So I, I enabled face. it. I'm, I'm not using. I'm not really using it right now to post stuff. But I'll, I'll be. You know, I'll, if people need to reach out to me for anything, then um, I'll. I, I can answer. Yeah, and I think eventually we may create a specific one for the podcast. But I think for now it's just fine to have our personal ones uh, to be used for this purpose. Yeah, that's that's like phase two of um, watch world domination. Yeah. Anyway, let's go uh, yeah, back so- to talking about you. Yeah, so I'm, let's see, I'm 25 years old. Uh, my background, I'm a software engineer. Um, that's, my, that's my day job. I've been into watches for probably like eight years now, I think. I, I got into watches during, um, when I was in college. I've actually always been interested a little bit. Um, and I had some people in my life that, like my, my grandpa, that was really into watches. And I never really, um, you know, noticed what he was wearing or took any appreciation for it. But once I sort of got older, he encouraged me to get a watch and stuff. So, you know, it, it all started from there. Um, yeah. So I, it's cool, man. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of people come from the similar uh, background when it comes to uh, like, how did you get into watches? Oh, like my grandpa. Um, Cause that's yeah, the yeah. same thing for me, you know, but anyway, uh, maybe well, I think tell there us was, about- I think there was a period of, you know, maybe people that grew up in like 
a certain period where, you know, maybe watches like weren't as popular. So definitely, I mean, at at least like 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. I I don't think they were nearly as popular as they are right now. Oh, for sure. Um, I think a lot more people um, over these few years really got into watches. Um, And, you know, you can attribute that to just a lot more sort of coverage online um, of new watches coming out and things like that. And then also, I think, you know, presence of Instagram and people kind of, you know, falling into the deep rabbit hole of, uh, you know, scoping watches in Instagram and discovering new things. Um, It's all about the the flex. (laughs) Oh, the watch flex. Anyway, uh, so maybe tell us a little bit about what sort of watches, uh, you know, you enjoy these days. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So one thing you will find is that Marek and I have very different tastes in watches uh, with maybe some overlap, but our expertise is in maybe a couple of different areas. Um, I'm much more into sport watches and I like, I like to have watches that are sort of viable as a one watch, one watch only um, lifestyle, I guess, if you will. Mm-hmm. So something that you can wear every single day without taking it off, you can get it wet, you can, you know, do pretty much anything, climb a climb Mount Everest, because um, I think a lot of people do that nowadays. And whatever. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm definitely on the sportier side of things. And maybe a little bit of an interest in vintage. I've had some vintage pieces, but I'm not, I'm definitely not an expert there. I, I'm, I'm much more of a Rolex enthusiast. Rolex enthusiast than, Rolex than you enthusiast. are yeah, yeah as I'll much as that. as much as anyone else uh, except for the fact that it, I mean I don't know I've had like what like 35 Rolexes now is Not that right time. I don't know something I've had in a lot the of teens them. probably right I don't know it's it's more than that yeah you've had quite a few um but yeah no I think I think that's a pretty fair assessment you like watches that are sort of sporty sort of you can do anything uh, while wearing them, um, that's sort of what you appreciate. Um, yes, yeah, so I think that's enough about like, me. What, what about yeah. you? Uh, so I'm in my late twenties. <laughs> my background is also in engineering. Uh, I did medical device design for a number of years, uh, but now I'm just strictly in medicine. Um, and you know, my story is fairly similar to yours. I think, you know, I've always liked watches, uh, even growing up when I was, you know, fairly young, I remember always having some sort of, you know, affinity to them. And yeah, I think my grandfather was fairly, uh, you know, not like maybe as direct as yours with like, Oh, you should get a watch. But, uh, I remember him really enjoying watches and I think that's where I really picked it up. Um, and you know, I think I started off my watch kind of collecting um after i finished college and uh, i think i was more in line with like what your current tastes are but perhaps a little bit more uh kind of like ostentatious like i liked larger watches at the time i like sportier things you know like brightlings and omegas and things like that like planet oceans and all that i still like that watch but you know what i mean and then uh, as i sort of went over the years i started tailoring my collection more and more and when i say tailoring going through like almost 400 watches actually um just to you know keep maybe like 10 12 of them as uh long-term keepers yeah so i think anyone that knows you on instagram probably has an idea of what types of watches you collect which it's a very i think a lot of people respect 
your taste in watches and they sort of use your Instagram page for inspiration because you're sort of the uh, enthusiast collector if you know not not the uh, you know basic basic um, Batman Submariner Hulk sort of guy yeah um, I mean it always humbles me when people say like oh I really love your collection you know like I started looking at these watches because of your page and you know I'm still actually finishing up school. So it's very hard for me to really expand on the collection. But I think, like I said, now I've been just trying to tailor it to be a little bit more kind of in line with what I really want out of a small collection. And, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm still in school, I try to make my money go as much as I can with a lot of these watches. So I go for value, you know, that's defined as, you know, I like precious metals. I like really fine finishing and, you know, a little bit of rarity and kind of, unusual design not the usual things that people normally go for uh, because those things you know they usually command a premium because they're popular designs Um, so i think that's that's essentially it yeah so i mean as we go through the podcast i'm sure um because because you're currently doing interviews for uh residency right Mm -hmm. yeah and uh, i don't really have much going on in in my world uh i I think at some point we're gonna we're going to have to do a big discussion on which watch I, I will end up wearing for my wedding which is in about a year from now so that that'll yeah. be that'll be something so those will be some continuous things that uh you know we'll, we'll be developing on yeah we, i mean you sold the watch that you thought you were going to wear so that's gone yeah i i, I don't know I'm, i've been missing it so uh for for any people that don't know it was, it was the uh reverso it was it's one of the tribute to 1931 models sort of uh, it has the same dial as the black tribute to 1931 but uh it's it's sort of inverted so it's white with black indices and then it's a duo so on the opposite side it's a black dial with the the jumping hour feature uh slash gmt ish yeah. feature yeah that that was a really nice watch and i it took me a little while to get used to having a watch of that shape on my wrist because i've never had a reverso before but I'm sort of missing it now. <laughs> yeah, you, you texted me that like three times today or yesterday. Um, yeah. yeah um, you know, that watch belonged to me initially. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, they're a very good watch. And I feel like I've had that same experience with every reversal that I've sold, I think. Um, it has especially, like a cool presence on the wrist. Like it's, it's something about it. It's, it's weird. It's different. It takes a little while to get used to. Mm-hmm. It, it I felt like I was wearing way too dressy of a watch the first day that I put it on. And then over time I started to wear it with more casual clothes. And now I'm sort of just wearing like anything like, huh, I wish I had my reverso. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think initially if you're not used to dress watches, you put on a, a dressier watch, not a strictly dress watch, but a dressier watch. And it seems a little off. Um, but I think it's also a matter of getting used to it sort of the same as, getting used to a certain size of watch because um, you know i i wear my dressy watches with you know like jeans sometimes and it feels um quite okay um like my white gold or platinum watches i have no problem wearing with jeans yeah yeah i mean i don't know i think part of it was the fact that it's a rectangular shape i think mm-hmm. if i had a 34 millimeter of like a traditionally uh, shaped watch then i i pretty much know exactly what to do with that watch and what when to wear it and you know, how to sort of integrate it into my lifestyle. But mm-hmm. the fact that it was rectangular sort of threw me off a little bit. Um, so yeah, because it's it's not very thin either. 
No, no. I mean, it's called the Ultra Thin, but... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, compared to... I mean, you can buy those, like, those uh, JLC Master Ultra Thins for... They're, like, uh, six millimeters thick, something like Mm -hmm. that. Um, And you can get even slimmer watches, I think, into, like, the five millimeter thickness range. This The Reverso is closer to 10. It's, like, nine, I think. Yeah, I mean, they have to fit, you know, two dials into the mid case and then plus shove it all into a carriage that um you know uh rotates the watch and, and allows you to reverse it so I, I still think it's thin for like how much complexity there is with with those things that i just mentioned um yeah i mean pr- proportionally the, yeah. proportionally i think it works um yeah I, I think the watch makes sense it's it doesn't stand out as being too thick for the design of the watch but it's different it's a dressy watch but it also has the thickness of not of you know maybe a sportier watch and obviously Mm -hmm. like the origin of the watch is is sportiness which everyone probably knows so um you know we don't have to really beat that over the head like um you know and explain the whole history of that watch yeah no i think everyone everyone knows at this point yeah so (laughs) um yeah man um so I don't know. Uh, they're not as rare as you think. So, you know, if you wanted one down the line, I'm sure you can get one. You're probably just going to pay a premium over it. At this point, now that all the cheap ones are kind of gone, um, you know what happens. It's going to be like three years of ones that are just overpriced. Yeah, I, th- I think that watch is going up. I think that watch is much better than the black tribute version. And I'm not really sure why it hasn't been, um, you know, why it hasn't reflected in the, the used market mm-hmm. pricing but I, it'll yeah, come it'll come soon I'm, I'm sure i think that's just a product of the you know the the true tribute to 1931 the one of the black dial just being so hyped up and you know yeah. talked about by a lot of people which i've owned that watch as well and uh when i bought it i didn't expect to keep it and i actually kept it in my collection for quite a bit of time until jlc completely ruined it during service uh, which is another topic for another day, but uh, maybe we can start moving into our main topic for today, uh, which is taking care of your watch. Um, and there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk about um, in terms of this. Um, yeah. So what, what is, wanna, what is the, uh, yeah. What are those, if you want to give an outline of like what, yeah. you're obviously, you, you have some strong feelings. So what exactly do you want to cover today? I mean, I'll see what I can contribute. Sure. I mean, to me, I think, the very first thing is probably just handling the watch um, and, and kind of how you, uh, you know, put it down, how you hold it, things like that. Um, but then another thing is probably like servicing, uh, which, you know, a lot of people want to talk about. And then also, you know, like small things like winding it a specific way or letting other people touch it and handle it. Um, and, you know, most of these things kind of come up from witnessing really poor handling, even by some people that are, you know, watch people as we say yeah so you, you brought up something that actually i have i have um something that i'd like to to talk about um yeah, yeah so letting other people handle your watch that's that's like that's a, a tricky subject because i i always i think it's weird if you show someone else your watch and maybe they're a watch person as well or a so-called watch person um, and you don't let them at least handle the watch by taking it off of your wrist. I think that's a little bit of kind of like a douche move, right? 
Yeah. And, you know, I've been kind of experiencing this on the interview trail because a lot of people ask me about my like interests. So, you know, I'll like talk about it. And then they sometimes if they ask what watch I'm wearing today, I'll show them. And I've had one instance where I actually took it off and I did it twice actually so far. And the person, whenever they were done, you know, kind of looking at the watch, they just kind of slammed it on the desk in front of them instead of handing it back to me, which I think is like a, that's like a courtesy thing that you should never do. And I don't think it only applies to watches. Uh, the way I was raised is like to never do that with money or anything that you're handing back to the person that is valuable. You sort of always hand it right to their hand. You don't put it down on the table. Um, yeah. And, and I, I've had people, yes. Yeah, so in my experience with this is I'll let someone, I pretty much always will take the watch off my wrist and let them see just because I don't know. I think it's the correct thing to do if, if someone mm-hmm. has an interest uh, and I, I'm sort of cringing the whole time that they're touching it. Yeah. It depends, yeah, so you know, like if it's, a, if the watch is already beat up, I care a whole lot less. Uh, but if it's something that's like, you know, precious metal, that's fairly soft and fairly minty. And then they just slam it on the, te- on the desk. Um, yeah. yeah. That's when I stopped doing that. Yeah. I don't have that many, that many watches that are um, like brand new condition or a condition where I really care that much about them. Definitely you do. You have more uh, collector pieces, but I'm getting, I usually will buy watches that are pretty used. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, nothing wrong with that. I think it actually takes away that anxiety about (laughs) scratching a watch that's, you know, minty and maybe not easily replaceable. Um, But, you know, that's one of the things I think just handling the watch, there's a couple of things I always pay attention to when I, you know, do it with my own watches. Um, If it's a watch that's on the bracelet, um, even if it has an exhibition case back, um, you know, which is Sapphire, I'm very unlikely to scratch. But I, whenever I hold them, I hold them sort of by the case. Uh, I support the back of the case with my fingers and then let the bracelet kind of drape down, um, you know, past my fingers so that the bracelet doesn't touch the case back ever. Um, yeah, so, so we need to we need to establish a set of ground rules. We're, we're going to laminate, print and laminate this and then distribute it uh, to everyone that we know. <laughs> Okay, so I'm, I'm I thought you were going to say gonna laminate the watch. <laughs> That's actually not a bad idea. Uh, um, we we should sell like a kit where you can, it's like a, a sleeve for the watch, and you put the watch in and you heat it. it. Yeah, you heat it with a hair dryer, and there's a little cutout for the crown. Dude, this is this is a million dollar idea. I'm glad we're recording this. Oh my god, Got I'm writing I'm writing that down. Um, yeah but you know what i mean with the with the handling and then I've, i see people put down rolexes like that all the time and then the case back is all scratched up because you know a lot of the sports rolexes just have a solid case back that is just brushed in one direction it's a very nice clean sort of um finish and then you know it's very easy to see marks on it from someone just slapping it down yeah um, so I, I find that some people they don't they don't know how to hold the watch like the, mm-hmm. some people recognize that there's value there and they want to be careful but they don't even know how to be careful they don't know how to handle mm-hmm. the watch so some people can very carefully hold it in a very incorrect way and that you have to you can't hold that against them but um you know they they don't know so like some people i've i have found will just put the watch in their hand like they're holding like a like a ball or something you know like mm-hmm. they just lay it in their hand and they're very gentle with it but you know they'll hand it back to you like it's it's loose change pretty much if you know what i'm yeah. describing they'll they'll sort of just have it um crumbled in their hand 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I, if there's anything that I can, you know, um, sort of suggest in that situation is when you're handing someone a watch that's on a bracelet and they, you know, put out their hand, kind of, you know, extend their hand, do not put it down in the way that they would pick it up with the bracelet touching the case bag, but kind of slide it over their fingers. Um, and the, yeah, it's like automatically they yeah, kind of know to... that that's how you hold it. Right. It's like if you put a jacket onto someone, you have to slide it onto their wrist and mount it for them. Yeah, I, I mean, I've done this so many times that it's like natural. That's just how I do it. But then when they, when they, when I see them reach back to like, you know, they're they're about to put the watch down on the desk or something, I reach out and just take it from their hand directly. Yeah, um, it, it's so it's such a weird spot to be in. You know, you don't want to be disrespectful to other people, and you know, you try to let them let them see, you know, what what's cool about your watch or something like that. They want to see it. They they even enjoy it. They are trying to be delicate but i don't know it's so hard to to just watch someone do something incredibly painful yeah and and you know so people so i'm sure someone will ask so how do you put the watch down if you're you know just resting it um so what i will normally do is i'll have like a microfiber cloth and i'll just rest the watch on its side make sure that that side isn't also resting on like a hard material um and i'll just do that or if you have some sort of like box that has pillows um just put the watch in a pillow put in a box i think that's probably the best way to do it yeah so if you have if you are you talking about a watch on a bracelet are you talking about watches on straps because i have a little bit of a different philosophy for each um so watches on straps i'll usually lay flat yeah me too um and on a bracelet or something yeah unless it's a deployant uh clasp strap watch then that's i also lay that on the side because it's just easier than like trying to remove the strap from the deployant if I have a deployment watch, I try to do the John Mayer uh, alarm clock setup that he was talking about where you can like the big pilot thing where you can yeah. rest the watch so that it's, it's displayed. Um, you know, that because yeah. a lot of deployments allow you to do that. I would just be worried that the watch would like tip over on its side. Um, I guess it depends, you know? Yeah. I, I try to go that route whenever, whenever I have a deployment watch, which, which hasn't been for a little while now, but yeah. Um, I think that's like, um, you know, I think this is my biggest pet peeve. Um, and, and, you know, we can also talk about sort of like watch handling by salespeople. And if you've ever, you know, considered or even looked at a brand new Rolex, I'm sure you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, I mean, they have those things taped up, like pretty much like our watch lamination idea or my watch lamination idea. And I'm pretty sure the Rolex decided to go with that because they realized their salespeople tend to kind of be rough on them. Um, but, you know, like I was at a jeweler here locally um, and they actually happened to have a, a Black Bay 58, which I haven't seen in person before. Like we just talked about in the previous episode how we're not really into Tudor, but I still wanted to sort of check out the 58 just to see what it's all about. You know, there's a lot of hype around that watch, especially this was, you know, a few months ago and it was still fairly hot. Um, and, you know, the salesman pulls it out of the case and um, as instructed, he starts, you know, unscrewing the crown and winding it to set the time and, you know, let it allow it to run. Um, and I'm started telling him like, Hey man, don't worry about it. Like, I know, I know you have to do this, but like, you know, don't waste your time. I just want to take a look. And he insisted to do it. And the way he did it was he just unscrewed the crown. And then with his ham fist, he sort of uh, started winding the watch with like one finger um, he put his finger underneath the crown and just started like 
pulling it so it so it you know it was winding the crown but he wasn't putting any sort of oppositional force on the other side to make it you know just a rotational force he was actually putting a lot of like upwards pressure on the crown yeah and the, he was you can cranking. put a lot of stress on the on the crown tube yeah i mean he was cranking it like you could hear the watch movement like you know or sorry the, the, that, that that would be a stem i believe right the, yeah the yeah i mean in. And I'm sure these watches can take a lot of abuse, uh, you know, with modern design and all that. But still, like, I was actually considering, like, maybe, maybe I should buy this watch and try it out because you can sell it for essentially what the MSRP is down the line and just, like, you know, enjoy it and sell it. And after he did that, I was like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not buying this watch, this particular one for sure. Yeah, that's one of the things. Um, when you do unscrew a watch that has a screw down crown, it, it gets very flimsy. Mm-hmm. Any watch. Um, with the exception of maybe IWCs Omega. that I've had. And um, I think IWCs that I've Modern had have been Omega, way, way more sturdy than Omegas. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Rolex I mean, is definitely, um, some of the older Rolexes, they have a very solid feel to them. My recent one honestly didn't feel as solid as some of the older ones that I've felt. Um, I see. I'm, I'm not really sure why. It, it might just be because it was a GMT and in the past I've had other models that, that weren't exactly uh, the same movement, the 3186. Um, yeah, I can't, I'm not really sure about that, but I think, I think IWCs that I've had have had the most solid crown feel uh, once the, the crown is like unscrewed or in like a setting position. I think I can agree with you on that. I'm not sure if it's like the most solid because, you know, my experience is limited with IWC, but the ones I've owned were all really pretty, uh, pretty solid. Uh, yeah. Pretty stiff when you kind of pop the crown out. Uh, there's no wiggle room. But, you know, it's like it can be, you know, you, you, you may not be able to feel that wiggle room, but you're still putting stress on. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, on the stem. And it's, you know, I've had an Omega actually where the stem uh, sheared off. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And then, you know, and I went to Omega with it and sort of started, um, you know, seeing what the cost would be. And they said it was sort of my fault that I hit the watch against something. And I wasn't trying to like pin it on any sort of warranty work. I knew it was kind of like I'd have to pay for the repair. But just the fact that they were telling me that it was my fault uh, robbed me the wrong way. And that's when I actually got them to pay for it as a repair uh, under warranty because I'm like, I'm not having this. Um, They said that that's how I did it. And if you think about it, if you screw down a crown, right, all of the force would be really distributed around the tube if you hit it, hit the crown against something, right? Yeah, you, you can't break the stem while the crown is screwed down. That's that's not possible. And, that's I exactly mean, what they were telling break me. The threads off and the crown comes off as well. Yeah, that's exactly what they were telling me. That it's like it was my fault, and I'm telling them like I don't think you can break the the uh, the stem if the crown is screwed in. And uh, I mean, you know. maybe I mean I've seen a lot of people that wear their watch with the crown unscrewed just because they don't even realize what that that extrudes. Yeah, in. yeah. You know, but people no, that, people that would like walk into a boutique and buy an Omega that are not necessarily watch people. So maybe they thought that it was hit while the watch was like unset or something. Yeah, possibly. Or, or, I mean, sorry, they uh, handled while the, it was unscrewed. The crown. Was yeah, unscrewed. I mean, they handled the whole problem pretty well. Uh, they they actually covered it under warranty for me without too much trouble, uh, like without too much pushback from me. I just had to tell them, like, I don't think it's right that, you know, this happened. And they're essentially were like, yeah, we agree. And uh, that's that's all it was. Um, but, yeah, that's that's one of the things, uh, you know. And when you're winding the watch, um, I think this only really applies to precious metal watches that, the, you know, the cases are, like, made of peanut butter. Um, you, you essentially look at it and it scratches very easily. Um, 
I do not I'm like. Sorry, can, people... can you re- can you repeat that? Yeah, so I think this other thing really only applies to precious <laughs> I heard, metal watches. I heard you said peanut butter. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, like gold. Anything carried gold is essentially as soft as peanut butter. Um, you know, you look at the watch and it scratches. Um, in in what in in is that a standard? Is there a standard for that? Yeah. Um, you, you you take a watch and you compare it directly to peanut butter, and if it scratches as easily as peanut butter, it's peanut butter. Okay. Uh, do different butters from other different types of nuts do they have the same softness as well or is it just peanuts? um almond butter is usually softer that's kind of like platinum so almond butter is comparable to platinum and i think regular okay. peanut butter uh um, smooth not crunchy uh but natural with the oil mixed in that's about 18 karat gold okay i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> anyway so like when you're winding a watch that's that's precious metal. I think I do not like sliding my fingers on the bezel as I'm doing it. You know how like if you kind of grip the crown, you purchase it quite well, but then your fingers go past it and you, you rub it against the bezel. Yeah. Um, with a steel watch, um, unless it's, you know, a really highly polished bezel, you're unlikely to see any marks from that. Uh, whereas with the precious metal watch, you're after a while essentially going to see, uh, you know, like micro scratches in the area around the crown. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm getting really, really like, to a minute detail here most people wouldn't notice this sort of stuff but um i do you know so what's what's your solution for that you just are very careful in the way that you you wind the watch because i've i have felt the same even i haven't had that uh precious precious metal watches like you have you have had but i do feel the same way when i'm winding steel watches especially if they're a manual wind Mm -hmm. um just day in day out i'm assuming that you know that that area around the crown is going to get worn down a little bit Mm-hmm. So, but then I then I try to wind it without touching that area, and it's nearly impossible. So I just stop really caring, and I just do it. Um, I think it like depends on the watch. Uh, most watches I can do it without touching the case uh, almost at all. Um, and you know, every once in a while, you will kind of like do it anyway. But you know, be careful with like your nails and stuff like that. I think that's the biggest uh, concern. Maybe we can make a um, a watch winder that you know how like how the crowns have uh, like splines on them mm-hmm. we can make an attachment that will just slide onto the crown and oh man i've thought about this just like with, with years like ago. a very very gentle a very low torque like i don't know like half of an inch pound of torque so there was actually an orbita winder for manual wind watches uh that i've seen before that is ex- it works exactly how you describe it it sort of attaches onto the crown um and it will wind the watch and stop at a certain level of resistance, which is, you know, you, um, I think the way you adjust it is you kind of go from the lowest um, and then until it starts turning the crown, um, you know, the lowest torque and you ramp it up, it starts turning the crown. And that kind of guarantees that when you hit that limit, it's going to st- uh, stop and cut off the, the, for, uh, the power to the winding mechanism. Yeah, so we've invented two things today. So- no, this already exists. I just haven't seen one for sale in a very long time okay Mm -hmm. what about the yeah i don't know um (laughs) yeah so yeah so going back to um yeah so i've i've had other people put my watch on while they also have their watch on oh god and just like banging them together yeah i've had that happen too I, i don't really know what to say like no don't do that <laughs> give, Honestly, me watch, give me a watch back I, I don't know um i would probably say something depending on which watch they're handling um and maybe who the person is also yeah just be like hey um, could you just please be uh 
careful with it. You know, it's like people realize that it's a, it's a valuable thing to you and not just because of, you know, the money, but also, you know, it's like maybe it was handed down to you by someone important or, you know, took you a really long time to find one. Yeah. So I, I think another thing that you have very strong feelings on is changing straps. <sighs> yeah. So I think that's like, the easiest or the most common way that people mess up watches is they get the watch and they instantly feel like they need to try on like 15 different straps on it. And the way they do it is sort of very quickly and without much care. And then just like rest the spring bar against the case back and just sort of shove that spring bar in while scratching the uh, back of the lugs. Um, yeah, so I, I don't necessarily think it's the, I mean, there is room for error when you're trying to insert the tool, but I think the process where, um, you know, where the, the damage is really occurring is when the spring bar is already loose, but it just needs to pop out of the lugs. And then when you're reinserting the spring bar. Yeah, so I think there's a huge misconception as to like what's the proper way to remove and reinstall a strap. People think it's like, oh, once the spring bar is out of the hole, you just wiggle it and it springs out. Like, you know, I mean, that um, I mean, will get the job done. The strap will become disconnected from the watch, but well, yeah, you know, obviously yeah. you're, you're going to do some damage. I mean, the force that the, the spring bars spring out, you know, from full compression at is, is pretty high and they do have the flange on them. Mm -hmm. um that will hit into the log at a very high speed and that's where you get the dings from obviously yeah and i mean it also scratches you know the area between the lugs which you know most people don't care but yeah i'm um, not too it, concerned about that actually either yeah and i mean as the spring bar is coming out it's going to kind of you know hit the back of the log as well as it's kind of springing out just going to leave a mark there yep um i mean the way i change straps is I sort of put a little bit of leverage onto the strap itself so that I can compress the spring bar all the way from one side mm -hmm. and then use the strap leverage to kind of lift it out of the lug without the spring bar ever touching anything other than the hole that it was in inside the lug. Yeah, so the, that's, that's definitely the best case scenario is if you have a strap and the shape of the lugs is definitely um, a huge variable here uh, and the position of the the hole inside of the lug. But if you can leave one side of the spring bar fixed in place and then completely clear the lugs with the other side of the spring bar in, uh, you know, in one motion, then the spring bar becomes free and you're, you're not going to damage anything. That, that's the best case scenario. Yeah. And I mean, it, it goes was that, the same was with... that, is that what you're describing? What I, what I just described? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, I think that's how everyone should be doing it. And it goes the same way in reverse when it comes to, you know, reinstalling the strap. I kind mm -hmm. of, again, purchase the strap and I hold my uh, kind of pointing finger on one uh, sort of flank of the case and I compress the spring bar all the way. And I sort of line up my eyesight with where the uh, hole inside the lug is. And I sort of, whenever I, I pop that strap back in with the spring bar fully compressed and then I slowly start letting go of that spring bar and once I feel that it sort of starts going into the hole I angle the spring bar tool away from me so this is like you know I'm, I'm angling essentially uh, angling it away from the log so that it can kind of without you know touching anything else it can sort of spring into the hole and then mm -hmm. I lift it lift up the spring bar tool 
Um, yeah, I think that's I, important. I, I think I do that a little bit differently. So I, I will mount the spring bar, um, you know, onto one side, just th- that's easy just to angle it in and just place it in the hole where, where it belongs on one mm-hmm. side that you, the bottom side always, wherever, wherever I'm working, I orient it such that it's the bottom. Um, and then on the top side, yeah, I'll use the, the spring bar tool. I'll, I'll get the spring bar very near to the lug. Not so it's touching the lug because obviously mm-hmm. at that point you're going to do some, some damage, but very, very close. And then I'll compress it with the tool and just slide it into the, um, in between the lugs. And then I'll slide it into the hole, which there is some room for error there. And you, as, you're, um, as, you have, as you have mentioned, you can scratch the inside of the lugs, but I'm not too concerned about that. I, I'm, major, I'm mainly concerned um, over major dings and things like that. The part where um, you, know, you start to get like a reflection of light off of um, like a freshly exposed surface that was chipped away from a spring bar. So, yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I think we do it the same way, except when I reinstall, I put it into the far away, like the, yeah, uh, the further away. Hole. Yeah, I put it into the further away hole, and then I install it on the one closer to me. And I do it oh, usually, really? I have the watch, I have the lug facing my left. That's how you should do it. Interesting. Uh, I think that allows me to purchase the strap a little bit better, so I can give it, you know, I'm holding the strap and compressing the spring bar into it, so that, you know, I'm not compressing the spring bar when it's like resting against the back of the lug i think that's how most people do it they sort of just rest the spring bar on the the back of the lug and then that's when they compress it that's when you get the fattest scratch in the back of it and then they just pop it in and they wiggle 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 until it pops in so it's like you know getting all messed up on the back and on the inside uh, which yeah the worst worst feeling is when you're trying to wiggle 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 to get the spring bar in and you and then it, go to the front of the watch. Oh my yes. Dude, that's when you sell the watch. It's done. That's when I'm like, all right, I can't own this watch anymore. I've done too much damage. Uh, I, I, I'm always so <laughs> nervous to look. Uh, oh, geez. Yeah, no. So I've had people, um, especially, I had someone at the IWC boutique once where I, I replaced, uh, I had them replace a strap, which, okay, as a general word of advice, never let someone replace a strap on your watch. I'm, I usually have Unless watches it's the that, two of us. Yeah, yeah. I usually have watches that are, are pretty, like, you know, like I was saying, they're not really mint. So out of curiosity, I'll just let people do it just because I don't really, I don't really care uh, a lot of the times. But I, I know which damage they are doing to my watch because, and it's, it, there is always damage. They never do a clean job. I've had a guy at IWC pretty much apply. So he's pulling on the strap. So like applying force to it, basically to remove it. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as the spring bars release, it just flies out of the watch. Just <laughs> he's just pulling it like really hard. So as soon as the the spring bars, um, you know, are free, it just flies out. And I'm not really sure how, like, wh- what part of the watch it exited, whether it was the front or the bottom. You can't even tell. So that's one strategy, I guess. Do it very quickly, so that you don't know where the damage is. I mean, there will be damage. I'm 100 percent sure, but maybe yeah. you don't know where it is, so you won't worry about it. I think as a general principle, I try not to do the whole wiggle thing once the spring bar is in between the lugs because that's just like you're just scratching it on the inside. I think what I do is I lift up the, I I sort of compress the spring bar again a little bit and try to realign where the hole is and try to like let it slide into the hole without, you know, scratching it in between. Um, But, you know, it, it takes a lot of practice, I think, to do this correctly. And it also becomes more difficult with, I think, straps that are a whole lot softer. 
uh, like some suede straps. You just cannot get enough sort of uh, purchase on it to allow that leverage for when you're compressing it in. But yeah, or if they have a big hole, because then um, you know you can like it's hard to sort of yeah. pull on the strap to um, yeah. you know get and sort of um, translate that force onto the spring bar. I agree. I mean, I mean, bracelets are another thing. So I don't think you should ever remove or install a bracelet with a regular spring bar tool. Um, yeah. To me, that's a, just a big no. Um, um, I would use one of those uh, bracelet kind of pliers. Tweezer. And there's Or tweezer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, there's two different types. There's like the one that's not hinged that looks like a like a actually like a tweezer. Um, and there's one that uh, Bergeon makes that is um, has, you know, detachable uh, ends, Steps, which I think right. is really nice. Yeah. And then that, that's the one I have. I, I think it's like the best investment because I was just changing a strap on my Manta um, and I was taking off the bracelet and it, it was like the cleanest strap change, bracelet change ever. Um, I didn't even touch anything on the watch. It was amazing. I was uh, pretty impressed with uh, how well that thing can work. Yeah. I, I don't have one of those, but um, yeah, I think, I don't think it would be a, horrible investment I, I think that um those everest guys should start selling those on their site if they don't already i'm not sure if they do but I, people I think will it, probably become more aware of them yeah and i mean i i bought the Bergeon one just because at the time that was the only one really available uh, but i know you can now get kind of like knockoffs of it which i'm sure are, are still far better than using you know a single-sided spring bar tool yeah i'm, I'm a little skeptical of all of the the cheaper versions of tool those tools though because oh. i've had some where you know you just snap a cheap piece of metal in half and you're going to do some serious damage to your watch with a freshly sheared piece of metal with sharp surfaces yeah i was actually going to suggest get, get the cheap one and then buy the 30 dollar per tip Bergeon uh, oh, hard yeah. end tips i guess but i mean the price is going to be like the same i guess at that point because uh, i I have I bought mine originally with the fat tips, and then I wanted to do like uh, like the Montax requires the fine tips, kind of like Rolex. So I just got another set. It was like another I think sixty dollars on top of the hundred and seventy it originally cost. But mm -hmm. I mean, you buy it once and it lasts a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we've got the. I, I don't know. Did we did we conclude anything with the watch handling? So but maybe don't let other people handle your watches that's that's pretty risky um, yeah i mean unless the watch place is the watch like down. yeah place the watch yeah. down in a certain just don't way. be an idiot essentially think about what you're doing yeah but so, you know you don't know something that you don't know right so you you like you, you're not aware of how to properly treat the watch so you don't know that you're doing it improperly i guess but then yeah i guess that's true um, I think another thing is like using those polishing cloths that, you know, you've been using to like mop up the floor with it. And then you kind of try to polish a watch with it, get some like, uh, fingerprints off. I, I think that has a whole lot of potential to leave, uh, you know, like hairlines in. Yeah. I mean, the best thing to do is just buy a watch and then just put it on and just don't wipe it with anything ever, or just clean it in the sink. If it's a watch where you can clean it with the in the sink. Yeah, uh, I, I I really like doing that when I had watches that are more waterproof. These days, I sort of like, whenever I wipe down a watch, I'll make sure that it's like super lightly and just, uh, you know, not not to any crazy extent. Yeah, if I have a dress watch, like like your watches, I just don't wipe them. I, I'll just yeah, 
forever. I think it's a fine. I think that's fine. Um, yeah, I, I also find th- that you'll you won't really notice some imperfections if you just don't wipe it, and then w- once you wipe it, you'll see everything. Ah, the log again. is missing. Yeah, yeah. Should we do? Do we do you have more time, or are we running out of time? We can we can get into one more thing maybe. Okay. Um, yeah, so, I think. Uh, let's see what else we had like servicing potentially on that list. We were talking about watch sales people. You, you want to, um, we can do servicing another time. Cause that's like a big thing. We mm-hmm. can probably just throw in some notes about watch sales people. I mean, one thing I wanted to also mention is, uh, did you want to talk about the time grapher thing today? Just very no, we, we can do that along with servicing. I think that's a whole, the whole world that's of true. stuff we're getting into. So I, right. I have a story about a watch salesperson that I think. Yeah, go on. Cause I don't know if you've had, any watch salespeople that have been just like rude, just like straight up rude to you. Um, I went into um, one of the Rolex boutiques around me. They sell Breitling, Panerai and Rolex. So, you know, the uh, trifecta of, of, uh, I don't know. <laughs> new Mediocrity. Collecting. Yeah, I guess. Um <laughs> You know, I mean, we all like watches from those brands, but if you're a watch person, you probably know what we're talking about. Um, and yeah, so I, the guy had a Rolex tie on. And mm-hmm. so I was like, oh, that's a cool tie. And his response immediately, I had, I have never talked to him ever in my life. I didn't make eye contact with, contact with him before. Like I just walked in, I saw his tie. I was like, oh, hey, nice tie. And he's like, yeah, you couldn't buy enough watches to get this tie. <laughs> You should have probably told him that, like you could have bought him on the spot well, if you wanted well, no. to. Well, no. What I said was, um, well, I could just open up a store. <laughs> uh, poor guy. He probably works for like thirteen dollars an hour, and you just shit on him. Yeah. Well, I, I don't. That's know. what I, I just wanted. I didn't. I thought it was a cool tie. But uh, you were just trying to be nice, and the guy. I mean, I liked it. I liked the tie. Should so, have, so, you know, grabbed him by the tie and choked him with it. <laughs> Yeah. So my, my experience with, um, watch salespeople, which always bothers me is, so we talked about before, if you have like a watch on a bracelet that you'll just lay it down on its side. Mm -hmm. So every single watch salesperson in the history of like me looking at watches has repositioned my watch. So, you know, the procedure is you see a watch, you want to try it on. So you, you know, say, okay, uh, can I see that watch? They get it out of the case. They hand it to you and you have to take your watch off to mm-hmm. try their watch on. So usually they have like a tray or something like a leather tray. Yeah. Uh, so you take your watch off. I always lay it on the side if it's mm-hmm. a bracelet watch and then I put their watch on what they proceed to do when I'm looking at their watch is pick up my watch and look at it and then lay it down with the bracelet touching the case back. Oh my Every God, single man. time, 100% That's like, of the time that I've ever been into a watch store, that has happened. <laughs> this is so true. I can't, I, I've never thought about it, but yeah, you're right. It's like 100% of the time they're going to lay it down, uh, not the same way that you put it down. So if you, uh, sell, if you sell watches, what should you do? Well, you should not touch my watch. <laughs> I mean, I normally wouldn't mind someone just like picking it up to look at it. I've had people not touch it. Um, That's what they should yeah. do. They, they can look at it, but it's not their property. The store property is technically like, you know, sort of their property, right? Like they are a representative of the store, but they, I mean, they can ask like, oh, 
can I look at your watch or something? I mean, this is supposed to be an experience that if you're buying like a high-end watch, this is supposed to, it's supposed to be a luxury experience, right? Sure. So, you know, what goes along with that? I, I would think the highest form of, of service and politeness and, you know, just common sense when they, they, they should ask you like, Hey, can I look at your watch? Or, you know, maybe just, make um you know play it safe and just not even touch your watch at all you know i've had mixed experiences with this it's like on one hand i've had a lot of people not touch it at all and just comment on it and you know we like you know discuss it for a little bit but i've also had people pick it up and you know put it down the same way that um that i left it and you know totally respectfully um i had no problem with it but yeah you're right i've had people pick up my watch and just kind of slam it down or um, sort of handle it improperly quite often so um and i don't think people realize that they're doing anything wrong i think they're just sort of um you know they just don't think that they they can cause any damage or you know i mean 90 percent of people probably don't care about the stuff Mm -hmm. um the things that we're talking about on this level so i'm sure it's okay but i mean the people selling watches are usually not watch people they're just salespeople Mm -hmm. so they don't they don't know that's true but i mean you know treating your property with uh you know the respect uh i think it you know goes a long way Um, yeah as being a salesperson i mean you should be familiar with how to provide a great customer experience right yeah so yeah i i would have a hard time buying a watch from a person that was doing that i don't know I, I would uh, I would want to just leave the store immediately. You know, sometimes um, it's also a matter of just like sucking it up. I think for me, um, I've had my watches handled poorly, and I was just like, well, it's sort of. I always blame myself. It's like, well, I put it down there. You know, they, I understood the risks of them picking it up, um, and you know, it doesn't normally bother me as much as when, like I said, when the watch is really minty or something that care about and that's when i you know usually when i'm wearing something like that i it doesn't leave my wrist like this kind of goes back to the initial thing where you know taking off your watch for someone to look at yeah i think that's my new strategy strategy with um like with any situation um never take the watch off off your wrist so trying on new watches someone comments on your watch someone um, you meet an enthusiast and they're interested in your watch just never take it off the wrist that's my new that's my new strategy. Yeah. And I'm sure we're not the only people who are like this. Um, I recently sold alone jeans to a very nice guy who um, he was doing everything that we described today. Like when he was handing the watch back to me, he held it in his hand for me to pick it up. And not just that, he was also holding it by the strap. So there's no chance for it to like slip out. Um, you know, just really respectful and kind of understood that, uh, you know, these are sort of the um, things you do when you're holding someone's watch. Yeah, yeah. So I actually, um, when I, I had a uh, dinner with a few watch collectors that um, I don't know if they're collectors, or I think you'd probably call them dealers. And they, you know, they had some like, interesting vintage stuff. And I think it's also common courtesy with vintage watches. I just have to say this, I, I've never owned a watch where I would, um, this would apply. But mm-hmm if you have a vintage watch that has any sort of functions, 
never use the functions. <laughs> uh, so if you have a vintage chronograph, never use the chronograph because a lot of these, <laughs> a lot of these people are very nervous that if you use the chronograph, like a hand is not going to reset or, you know, something is going to happen. So just out of, cause I actually made this mistake where um, someone handed me like one of the, um, I don't even know what reference reference it was. I think a six, two, six, three Daytona. So mm -hmm. one of the like very old school, very valuable Daytonas. And of course um, I, I wanted to use the chronograph. So I, <laughs> I pushed on the, the pusher and I definitely offended this person. It's like, it hasn't been pushed in 40 years, you bastard. Yeah, yeah. They're like, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't push that. It's worth more than your house. <laughs> Wait, what, what did the person actually say to you when you did that? That. that. <laughs> oh, man. That, I would have been like sweating in that moment. I would have felt so bad. Yeah, I, I felt kind of bad. But at the end of the day, um, I don't know. It's, I don't think I'd be in a position where I would buy something like that, where I'm afraid to use it. I would rather just prefer, or I would rather just purchase a modern watch, but obviously that's our taste and that's not everyone's taste. A lot of people obviously prefer vintage watches. So yeah, I mean, you, you can't say that needs to apply to everyone the way we feel. I mean, but if it, he felt I, like, you know, he probably brought that watch to the meeting to flex a little bit and then uh, it backfired a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So that, I think that's another, another good rule if you're ever in contact with a vintage watch just don't touch anything just look at it <laughs> yeah see i i wouldn't have thought of this but i i normally whenever i activate any functions anything like that like if i want to feel what a watch feels like to wind i always ask because you know there's certain things that always you know there are quirks that go into watches that you may not realize um <laughs> funny story um i uh I have one of those Cartier tank basculant in the mechanical movement. And uh, I've had a few of them that I've been just trying to find the one in the nicest condition. So, you know, I'd like finding another one, selling the one I have. And I sold it to a friend um, who I hope is going to listen to this. I'm not going to say who it is, but he got it. And he's like, man, like I've been wearing it for a couple of days and the power reserve only holds for like 12 hours. And I'm like, Oh man, like, I, I don't know. Like I never really experienced that when I had the watch, it was fine. So, I don't know. Maybe something happened in shipment. Uh, and you know, I'm just like, Oh, just send it back. I'll just refund you the money and I'll, you know, I'll take care of it. I'll see what's wrong. And if needed, I'll just service it. Um, and you know, he sends the watch back and um, I wind it and I set it down just to see you know, if it's going to run. And you know, it runs for the full like 48 hour power reserve or whatever. And I just messaged him. I was like, man, I don't, I don't think you wound it all the way, all the way up. Um, the thing about that watch is you have to kind of pop out the carriage and, and like tilt it 90 degrees to get access to the crown. And even mm -hmm. then it's like completely recessed. So, um, it, it's, it's probably one of the hardest watches to wind that I've ever had. And it also feels so delicate that you do not want to overwind it. So I'm not, I'm not surprised that this happened to him, but it was just kind of a funny story. And it's also a manual wind. So you have to wind it every day. Yeah, no, but like it does have a 40 something hour power reserve, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, every, um, every other day. Yeah, so he was only getting like 11 or 12 hours and he, he thought that I sold him a uh, a broken watch on purpose. Well, not really. We were joking about that, but I'm sure deep down he was just like, oh, did he actually knew about this? 
even though there was nothing wrong with the watch. So did you end up keeping it? Or you sent oh, it I just ended up selling it to someone else for a lot more money. Mm. Nice. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. He, I, I think I gave him the option to take it back. Um, and he decided against it. I'm, I'm not quite sure how that happened. Or did I just like sell it to someone else without even asking him at that point? Yeah, I don't uh, know. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, anyway, think we're, it, I think we're at a good good spot here. Um, yeah. Sticking to our our time constraints, our arbitrary time constraints that we've given ourselves. Yeah. Uh, Every episode is going to be a different length. Yeah. No, we're shooting for about where we're at now. Maybe 40, yeah, I think 40 minutes to an hour. So I, I, we're just about at the hour mark. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, if uh, I, I may uh, do a little shout out thing on my Instagram page and maybe you, you can too, so that people can get uh start listening to this. And, you know, if you have someone who you think would enjoy this sort of weird watch talk, um, let them know, send them a link to the podcast. Uh, there's a whole lot more coming, hopefully. Yeah. Um, emphasis on weird. Oh, it's going to get weirder too, as we get more comfortable. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for nice. listening, guys. Thanks, Joe. Um, yeah. Nice talk. Been a pleasure. Talk to you Good later. Good talk. See you, man. <laughs>